As I speak, Holy Spirit, you would speak. I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our spirits, and that you would do something through us this week that would be significant, that would be powerful. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Give the worship team a hand. Um, I'm so thankful for... Uh, uh, what Jacob was saying about being on the on-ramp for Miracle May. Ever since we started our church, uh, and in July it's going to be 15 years, um, we have always, May has always been a month where we focused on miracles. As I've always said, God can do a miracle. He's a, any day of the week, any month of the year, but there's something powerful about focus. How many of you remember it's only a short while ago, 21 days of prayer and fasting, time of focus. Uh, May, when we focus on God's miraculous supernatural power, is a time of focus. And it's amazing what God does when we focus. And we're believing for miracles, miracles in your house, miracles in your neighbor's house, and miracles in God's house. And uh, let's pray, let's expect, let's ask God to do He's not only able, but he's willing. So I'm excited about that. And next Saturday, 1st of May, uh, first day of the Miracle May, we have a Kingdom Builders and Vision Partners Breakfast. If you don't know, yeah, if you don't know what that's about, come and talk to Michael and Polly Elman after the service. There are our generosity pastors Kingdom Builders and Vision, uh, Vision, uh, and Vision Partners are people who have a revelation about resourcing the kingdom of God. How many of you know the kingdom of God needs to be resourced? We're here today because people gave. They gave their finance. They gave their time. They gave their talent. They gave their treasure. Some people gave their lives so we can enjoy the message that we have today. Why did God give that to us? So we could just sit on our hands and and do nothing. No, he did it so that we can pave the way for future generations. And so there are people that have a revelation about that and make a commitment to give a certain amount of money over and above their normal donations, offerings, tithes. Um, and for vision impactors, it's, only, it's anything from $100 or more per year. That's not even a Starbucks a day. Um, you know, you could give, what, a Starbucks a day to keep the devil away. But um, uh, anyway, 
I'm not going to get onto the Starbucks subject today. Um, but if you want to be involved in that, come to the breakfast. You don't have to become a vision partner or a kingdom builder. Um, but if you're interested in becoming one, we'd love to have you come and register. Tell Michael, we'd love to have you join us and be a part of that. And it's going to be a great morning. And what a great way to start Miracle May, first of the month, um, and uh, first of May. All right, great to have Sammy Yepes with us, or if you're speaking in Castellano, Yepes, no? Yepes se dice, no, en, en, en Argentina no se dice Yepes. Yepes o Yepes? Shepes, okay, thank you. All right, so I asked him before, how do you pronounce it? And he told me he got it wrong, Shepes. So uh, Sammy Shepes, who is from Argentina, Buenos Aires, uh, his father's a pastor there. He's connected with us, connected with Peru. I think his family's originally from Peru and friends with uh, Jake and Raquel, who are coming back from Peru, and also Giancarlos and little, and little Polly. And he's come here for a season. We hope it's a long season. And he's come here for a season to be a part of our church. So we're so glad that you came. And, uh, you know, when Jacob was praying, he was praying, you know, if you're praying for a miracle for God to tell you what city to go to, I thought, Jacob, what, what on earth are you talking about? We're not praying that people will go to other cities. Don't be a part of the Texodus. Who, who wants to be a part of Texas when you can move to California? You can move to the promised land. You can be here. You can be like Isaac who stayed in the land in the midst of the famine. And that year he, he reaped and he reaped a hundredfold. Come on, church. We're here. We're called. Jacob, you had too many coffees this morning. But I took it that you were speaking about Sammy coming here from Argentina to here. So we're, we're real glad. Give him another big welcome. Great to have you with us. And I heard he's a talented musician. He's a drummer. So John Contreras, where are you? You better be on your game because you might get bumped. You might get bumped off the team. Where are you? Now he's happy with that. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Come on. Come on. Okay. Well, today I want to, how many people enjoyed Di's message last week? What a great word she brought. And she's going to be speaking again in two weeks. Two weeks, it's Mother's Day. And uh, I want to encourage all you mums, all you moms, to, uh, to bring your kids, uh, bring, bring your mums to, to church on Sunday going to be a great day. We're regathering. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you joined us online. And uh, we are, you know, many people are taking their time. We've always said, uh, find your place at your own pace. So whatever that pace may be, we hope that you can join us in person. But so glad that you're with us online today. So two weeks ago, I spoke on the subject of from generation to generation. And I want to do the second part of that today, then next week, first Sunday in May, I'm going to be speaking about miracles. So uh, let's take up where we left off, and I'm going to cover a little bit of the ground, that which we covered a couple of weeks ago, but uh, in order to 
lay the foundation for what I want to say today. So Genesis 17 and verse 7, this is God speaking to Abraham. Abraham, who is referred to by Paul as the father of our faith, he was God's starting point of a new generation, ultimately that would bring Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, into the world. And this is what God says to Abraham, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. Any descendants of Abraham here? We all are. Yeah. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. A few years ago, I was in Spain in Barcelona for a pastors and leaders uh, conference and uh, went to another couple of parts of uh, cities in Spain as well. But while I was there, I visited a cathedral, which I referred to last time we spoke, called La Sagrada Familia, which literally means the sacred family. It's a cathedral that was begun, uh, was the architect of which and the, the builder in the initial days was an architect by the name of Antoni Gaudi, who you've probably heard of before. In England, they referred him as Gordy. So if anything's really colorful or over-colorful, it's Gordy. You know, no, that's, that, the, the decor was really Gordy. Do we say that in America? We, do we say Gordy or? We say Gordy. We speak the same language. Okay, good. Gaudi. So his name was Antony Gaudi. And the construction of the cathedral began in 1882. I first visited the cathedral in 1973. Who wasn't alive in 1973? Michael Elman, you're not telling the truth. Um, so in 1973, I visited it 48 years ago. And, the, and at that time, 48 years ago, it had been in the process of being built for 91 years. So that's 138 years or whatever that it had been, uh, construct, been in construction. And when I visited it last uh, that's 135 years ago, rather. And I visited it five years ago, and it was still being built. 135 years later, with another 10 years projected for the completion of the cathedral. Gaudi, when he designed the cathedral, he, he, he had in mind something that he knew would go beyond his day, beyond his generation. He was thinking generationally. The interesting thing about Gaudi was he called himself God's architect because his whole purpose in building the cathedral was that he would tell the story of God and man. And if you go to the cathedral, you can see in all of the, uh, in all of the uh, built into the architecture uh, statues that depict the story of God and man, right from the creation through to the time of Jesus. And it's an amazing experience to be able to go there. He, he had a blueprint, and he wanted the architecture to tell the story of God and man. Gaudi was thinking generationally. And it's interesting that his desire was to tell the story of God and man but at the heart and the core of that was this generational vision and this generational plan. God is a generational God. 
He has a generational vision. He has a generational plan. And Gaudi, like any, uh, anyone who is creative, and we're all creative, you're creative, whether you know it or not, he was able to see with his mind's eye what he was unable to see with his physical eye. And as we, as we think about this, I want to show a short video uh, that I think very powerfully depicts this because it's a, it's a video that is, a, in a sense, a what, what would you call it? You'd call it a, a, a digital plan of what is going to take place with the building project in these last years as it's completed. And I want, to, I want us to take a look at that. And as we look at it, I want to encourage you to think about your life, just like Gaudi thought about his life about the generational impact of your life, the generational impact of the vision that you have for your life, for your children, for your children's children, and that you, are, that all of us, God created all of us to see something with our mind's eye that we will never see with our physical eye. So take a look at this, and then we'll take up from there. Gaudi had a, an amazing vision, and uh, it was a generational vision. He wanted to tell the story of God and man, and as we've been saying, God is a generational God. And I want to take a moment to, to build on what we've just witnessed there, because I think that's such a powerful image of, of, of the way that God builds. Um, to take a look at a couple of things that I talked about in the last message. You can, if you weren't here, you can listen to it on, on uh, line. It's on our podcast about God, the generational God. Two scriptures I want to highlight, first of all. The first one is in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, and the second one is in Matthew 22. God is speaking in Exodus here to Moses um, at the time when Moses, God called Moses in the wilderness to go back and deliver the children of Israel, the nation of Israel from Egypt. And God says, I'm the God of your father. Listen to this. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God identifies himself 
very significantly as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, move right all the way through to the New Testament, and Jesus is talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection. And this is what Jesus said, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. Very interesting here that these two passages of Scripture that are, in a sense, central to the Old Testament and central to the New Testament. Central to the Old Testament because Moses is the principal figure of the Old Testament. Jesus is the principal figure of the New Testament. The principal event of the Old Testament was the exodus of the nation of Israel from Egypt. That was the principal event. The principal event of the New Testament was the resurrection. And so at the heart of these two moments of time that were incredibly significant, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's very significant because God wants us to know three things about himself. He wants us to know, number one, that he's a generational God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, grandfather, son, uh, and sorry, grandfather, father, and son. He wanted to identify himself that he's a relational God. He was the God of three individual people that were the building blocks of the people of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And thirdly, that he's a transformational God. God is not just generational, not only relational, he's transformational. He wants to change us. So Abraham was called from Mesopotamia where he was an idolater, and he became the father of our faith. Uh, Isaac became, was the promised son who became the heir and father, was transformed into the heir and father of Jacob, who was the patriarch, if you like, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob was transformed from being a schemer to becoming a prince with God. God and, and in every one of those people, we find that, 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 that those things are taking place. Relational, generational, relational, transformational. Relational, generational, transformational. It's as if God's saying, I want you to get this into your DNA. I'm relational, I'm generational, I'm transformational. And, and so God reveals himself in that way. It's interesting if you've read a book, anyone ever heard of Watchman Nee, a great writer from the last millennium. Uh, most of you were born in the last millennium anyway, but he was uh, a great writer, Watchman Nee, who, who wrote a book called Changed Into His Likeness. And if you want to read a great book, that is a great book. I read it as a, as a young Christian, and it powerfully impacted my life. And he talks about those three characters, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, together. And quoting Watchman Nee, he says, The combined experience of these three accounts for the course of all God's people. In other words, if you want to look at what God's wanting to do in you and me, look at those three people. First of all, Abraham was a pioneer of faith. God wants you to be a pioneer of faith. Thank you for that response from one person. I'm so encouraged this morning. God wants you, not your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather. God wants you to be a pioneer of faith. What are we pioneering today? Secondly, God wants us to 
be inheritors, to understand the inheritance that we have in Christ, not to waste our inheritance, not to sit on our inheritance, but to understand the inheritance that we have in Christ and to, to use that for his glory. That was the story of Isaac. And then the story of Jacob, we can all identify with. Jacob was the schemer. He was the liar. He was the one who tried to take advantage of every circumstance and situation. And I know you all look like butter wouldn't melt in your mouth today, but we're all like that. There's a part of our human nature that's like that. And God had to deal with that part of his life through the struggles that he went through and and the process of change and transformation that he went through that was very painful for him is the process we all go through in being transformed into the image of Christ. So all three of those are fundamentally important, and that's, the, the, uh, that's the, what I want to build on today. Um, the thought that I want to I take a moment for us to think about is this. God's presence is attached to his purpose. Wherever you find God at work, there you will experience his presence. We've talked this year about presence being the key word that we've felt in our hearts and in our spirits at the beginning of this year, the key word for this year. God's presence makes all the difference, and our presence makes all the difference. But it's interesting when you think about the presence of God. I think very often we talk about, we, can, we think about the omnipresence of God. We know God is everywhere present. But God also, there is the manifest presence of God. God presences himself in certain places, at certain times, in specific ways. And God not only wants us to experience the omnipresence of God, He wants us to experience the manifest presence of God. Ever experience the manifest presence of God where you might feel, uh, feel something physically or you feel something taking place in your heart and soul. There's something powerful that's happening, maybe during a time of worship, maybe when you've been prayed for, maybe in your own prayer time. That's the manifest presence of God. And when we look at the Bible and we look at the principles of God's Word, we find that wherever God is at work, that's where He is present. That's where He's present in a manifest way. When, when people turn away from God, when God's work is ignored, when God's work is, is diminished or God's, word is, God's work is kind of an addendum to our lives, we are not going to find God as present because God presences himself where he's at work. And wherever God's presence is, guess what we find? Peace. Maybe if we stop watching the news so much, we might experience a little bit more peace. If we spent the same amount of time we spend in the, uh, watching the news or on our social media or on looking at the notifications on our phone that come up every five seconds and spent that time in God's Word, maybe we'd experience some more peace because God, God's presence, wherever there's God's presence, we experience His peace. 
wherever there's God's presence, we experience His provision. Next month, month of miracles, believing for God's provision. Are you believing for God's provision? God's provision is, comes out of His presence, where Jesus was present. Remember, Jesus was present, and the Word of God tells us He was present to heal. He was present to multiply the loaves and fishes. He was present to turn the water into wine. Um, So wherever God's, and then of course, wherever God's present, we experience His power, and God's able to do anything. So God's presence is always connected to His his purpose. Um, and, And obviously, God the principles that we're talking about are not, um, God can work in any way He likes. God manifested his, Himself to me and made Him, I, I, I became a Christian, I was born again when I was a, a hippie, uh, living that kind of a lifestyle, and He revealed Himself to me. I wasn't involved in His purpose, but He knew God had a plan for my life, and, he, and so He revealed Himself to me. And what I'm talking about here is so important for us to understand. Now, um, if you've read the Old Testament, uh, you find that in the, in the Old Testament, there are, there are, there are times and seasons. There are, there, there are uh, 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 seasons or dispensations that God's people go through. There were times when they were close to God. There were times when they were away from God. And if you read the book of Judges, you find that after the children of Israel came into the promised land, that they began to turn away from God, rely upon the provision that He'd given to them. God no longer was central to their lives, and we find that the, the, the presence of God was, uh, God removed His presence from them. And we read the very last verse of the book of Judges is a really sad verse because it says here, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Could probably write that over our world today. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And guess what? This is what we read in the very next next chapter was the result of that. 1 Samuel 3 verse 1, Samuel, Samuel, Chippes. Samuel was promised by his mother Hannah, who was unable to conceive a child, was praying in the temple. God answered her prayer, and she promised that if you answer my prayer, I'll dedicate my son Samuel uh, to, to God for his whole life. She dedicated, listen to, she dedicated Samuel to the purpose of God. And guess what happened? Samuel brought about a transition from a from an epoch or an era where the presence of God was absent to a time when the presence of God was very real. And of course, Samuel was the one who anointed David. David, of course, was the one who established the place for the temple that Solomon would build. So this is what we read. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. But at that time, in the middle of the night, remember the story? Some of you will remember the story. God 
God called him Samuel, and he, he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And three times he answered, thinking, and he went to Eli, saying, Eli, you called. Eli said, No, I didn't call. The third time Eli said it must have been God. And so God began to speak to him, and God told him what he was about to do. Samuel had a vision of God because he was set apart to fulfill God's purpose. And we read 1 Samuel 3 verse 19, now Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fail to be fulfilled. And all Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was appointed as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh. Listen, he continued to manifest himself. He continued to presence himself in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord through Samuel came to all Israel. It's very clear that God's presence is connected to his purpose. There are many other passages in Scripture that we can talk about or we can think about. For example, Jesus said to his disciples, we focused on this over the Easter period, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised that he would be present God would be present, the Holy Spirit would be present as long as we sat on our couches eating chips, watching Netflix. God's faithful. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me between series one and series two. No. Jesus' promise was connected to his purpose. He said, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age, as long as you go. Does that mean that we're in some kind of legalistic situation where, where we, we're afraid that God's going to leave us if we're not saying the Lord's Prayer every, at the stroke of every hour? No. But it does mean that his presence is connected to his purpose. And here's the interesting thing. When we're involved in God's purpose, grace flows like it doesn't do at any other time. We will make mistakes. And hey, it's a messy process. It's a messy process. But what God is saying and what I, the thought that I want to bring across today in the time that we have is that God wants us to experience His presence, not just to comfort us, but to empower us to enable us to fulfill His divine purpose. And the more I am connected to God's purpose, the more I can expect His presence, His peace, His provision, and His power to flow. The more I get involved in God's work, the more I'm going to see God at work. I'm going to say that again. The more I get involved in God's work, the more I'm going to see God at work. And so,
It's so important that we understand that if we are going to be involved in God's work, that God is generational, God is relational, and God is transformational. And a good question for all of us to ask is, how generational am I in my thinking? How relational am I in my living? And how transformational am I in my approach to God and His work in my life and in our community? God establishes things generationally. And I want to take a a couple of moments to look at how He establishes that. I think in today's world we live, and I've talked a little about this, I think we live very much for the moment. We live for our own generation. I happen to be a baby boomer, and I've learned in recent times, I didn't know that, that boomer is a derogatory term. Uh, That's not generational thinking. Um, You know that uh, to call someone a boomer with all that's associated with it, or for that matter, to call them a millennial and and think that they're a snowflake because they're a millennial. Uh, That's not true. We are all of different generations. Prince Philip, who died recently, 99 years old, was part of what they would call the greatest generation. I talked about this last week. And then the silent generation. And then the baby boomers who gave you the iPhone and everything that we... I'm just playing with you now. And, 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 the, and, then, and then, of course, Gen X and, and, and then Gen Y or the millennials and Gen Z. Thank God for Gen Z that are coming through. Generational. Think about Gaudi's building here. How many generations in 135 years worked on that? Potentially five. Great-great-grandfathers, great-grandfathers, grandfathers, fathers, sons, all worked on the same project because he had a generational approach. And I want to leave this with you. God establishes his work generationally. If we want to be established individually, if we want to be established as a church... I'm talking about our local church. If we want to be established, then we have to think generationally. And here's what I want to leave with you. God establishes everything through three generations. And this is what God is referring to when He speaks to Moses and when Jesus speaks. He establishes through three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when something is established, and you can think about it in your own family, generationally, then something becomes rooted in the ground that is much harder to rip out. It becomes established through the generations. So I don't know whether you are a uh, second-generation Christian or a third-generation. I I look at other people. I I know I have some friends who are fifth-generation preachers, and I think, what hope do I have of ever kind of being able to make any contribution. Well, the fact is I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pioneer. I'm a first generation Christian. My kids are second generation. My grandkids are third generation. And God establishes generationally. And we see this through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the generation was established. God established his purpose through three generations. So I want to tell you this today. Whether you are first generation, second generation, third, fourth, or fifth, God establishes through three generations, and every generation gets attacked because the enemy does not want to see your line established. He doesn't want to see your heritage established. He doesn't want to see the church established. 
we look at how God tried to take out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's interesting that often the, the different generations are, are attacked in different ways. Um, the first generation, as I said, are pioneers. Second generations are, are the inheritors. And the third generation is the one that God establishes something. Why did Jacob come under so much attack? Because he was the third generation that was going to establish God's purpose and through whom the nation of Israel would come, the 12 tribes, and ultimately Jesus. Here's the interesting thing. That's where the enemy failed. But I want to take you to a place where the enemy succeeded. And it started with, surprise, surprise, David. David was the first generation. Solomon was the second generation. I want you to tell me now who was the third generation. All you Bible college students, be quiet. Someone said Jesus, and they were correct. But here's the thing. If you look at the life of David, Solomon, and who was Solomon's son? He's not very famous because he failed. He was, his name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam is not celebrated or remembered because he was the third generation that brought the disruption and split of the nation of Israel. And why? Because he, he failed to listen to godly counsel. His father, Solomon, wrote the book of Proverbs. He failed to read the book of Proverbs, obviously. And because of that, the third generation, there was a rupture in the kingdom. There was a collapse, and the kingdom was split in two. And that's because the, that's because the third generation was not established because the third generation often, second and third generation are the ones that are going to come under most attack. And for those of you that are parents, those of you that are second and third generation, be aware of it. You know that this, in, this, in this COVID, you know the biggest, the biggest issue with COVID hasn't been the disease of COVID. It's been the dis-ease that it's brought right across the world. And I'm not, under, I'm not undermining the, the, the seriousness of the disease and the, 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 the loss of lives and, and the impact of that and the devastation of that. But what I'm talking about is a dis-ease where the enemy has taken out, genera uh, is trying to take out a generation. George Barner, who uh, is a church growth expert and has said that over this last year, 30% of Christians in the United States of America have stopped attending church. Like the enemy is having a field day. And why? Because it's a generational issue. He's trying to take out a generation. He'll try and take out a generation in a church. He'll try and take out a generation in your family. He'll try and take out a generation in a nation or across the world. Because he knows that what God establishes, He establishes generationally. And once three generations have been established, it's much harder to break that generational continuum. This is what Proverbs 12, 13, 22, no, not Proverbs 13, 22 says. This is what Ecclesiastes 4, 12 says, written by Solomon, of course. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Very sadly, his, the third cord in his generational uh, continuum was broken. So, 
what are we going to do? What do we do? How do we, how do we make sure that we are not part of that, that disruption that's taking place? Well, the answer is simple. We say yes. We say yes to God when maybe the rest of the world is saying no. We say yes to God's purpose when everything in, that we've been going through is pulling us or encouraging us away to say no. We, we say yes to what God is saying. We say yes to what God is doing. And we go back here to this verse that we read in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, which says, Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 10. This is in the message version of the Bible. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. Three things why we say yes. Number one, we're chosen. Did you know that God chose you? Did you know that you've been chosen? You know that God chose you before you chose Him? And in the book of in Peter, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Secondly, you're called. Well, you say, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor, I'm not, a, I'm, I, I, I'm not called into... Yes, we, you are. We're called. We are called just like the disciples were called. We're called to be followers of Jesus. And this is what the Word of God says. Word of God says here, um, I'm looking for it here amongst my notes. It says that we are called according to His purposes. Second Timothy 1 and verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He has saved us and He has called us according to His holy calling. So we've been called. God called Abraham. Jesus called His disciples. God called, is calling you. And then thirdly, we've been commissioned. Just like God commissioned Abraham, just like he commissioned Isaac, just like he commissioned Jacob. To commission means to, basically a commission is to commission a graduate of a military academy. Our son Ben, who is a, a pilot, a fighter pilot, was commissioned into the U.S. Air Force. To commission means to authorize, to send on a mission to give the order that places a warship, military command in a state of complete readiness for active duty, to commission. Jesus commissioned His disciples. And as the worship team come to the platform now, <coughs> excuse me, I want to say this. I want to close with this. God said yes to you. Whether we know it or not, God said yes. He chose you. God said yes he called you. God said, yes, he commissioned you. But that's not enough. Abraham had to say yes to God's choice, call, and commission. Isaac had to say yes. Jacob had to say yes. We have to say yes. It's God's yes and our yes that activates what God wants to do in and through us. And this is what uh, we read in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God 
uh, all the promise, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. In the message version, this is what it says. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In Him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen. Yes, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting His yes within us. By His Spirit, He has stamped us with His eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what He is destined to complete. And it all begins with a yes. I want to encourage you today to say yes to Jesus. Well, you say, well, I said yes to Jesus decades ago. Well, say yes to Him again today. Say yes to His choice. Yes to His call. Yes to His commission. Yes to His purpose. Because the more we are engaged where God is working, the more we will see Him at work in our lives. And I want to encourage you with that today as we continue to worship God. I want to encourage you, if you would, just stand with me for a moment. I love that song that we were singing, song number two. I am who you say I am. It speaks about how we've been chosen. And I want us to sing that today. And when you sing it, make it a declaration of faith as we sing this song of our yes combining with God's yes so that His kingdom can come and His will be done in and through us. Come on, let's sing together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who, who, has, who has worked throughout the ages generationally. 
We thank you even that in the midst of failure, Lord, you, through your divine promises, turn around what the enemy meant for evil, and you make it good. We thank you that that third generation that was that disrupted the line of your your preferred purpose and plan through Rehoboam was reestablished with Jesus, the son of David, who became the third generation. A generation that established the promises of God that cannot be broken, that never will be broken. We thank you that you are faithful, God. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that we might say yes, that our yes may be a resounding yes to your yes. May we be involved where you are at work. May, may we be active where you are active. And Lord, may we sense your presence in unprecedented ways. Thank you, Lord, for this coming month, a month of miracles. And we believe, God, that you are showing yourself strong and you will do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. One last thing I want to do. I want to take a moment to give people an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe this is for you uh, an opportunity for you to make a recommitment of your life to Christ. I remember that all those years ago, decades ago, when I made that decision to accept Jesus Christ, I discovered a God who wanted to have a relationship with me and who I've been in relationship with ever since. I discovered a God who was generational, that I could become a part of his generational plan and purpose from my generation to the next, both spiritually and naturally. And I found a God who wanted me to change, to be transformed, who, who wants me to be in a continual process of change and growth and transformation. And you can know that person, Jesus. And it comes simply by accepting what he did, by saying, yes, he's already said yes to you. He's chosen you. He wants you to respond to his choice. He's calling you. He wants you to respond to his call. And he is wanting to commission you and give you a sense of purpose in your life that you could never have outside of connecting to your heavenly father and your creator. And so I want to pray this prayer now. And if you want to pray this prayer and you're accepting Christ as your savior or you're making a recommitment of your life to Christ, pray this from the depths of your heart. God's going to hear your prayer. He's going to answer your prayer and your life is going to be transformed and changed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Give me a new beginning. I open up my heart and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that this is the beginning of a new day. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, of your presence and of your spirit at work in me not just for time, but for eternity. In Jesus' name.